welcome to the Riverside Church Podcast. Riverside Church is a community of believers striving side-by-side for the gospel in the greater New Orleans area. For more information about Riverside Church, go to riversidelife.org. Uh, This first Sunday that uh, we're going through some Christmas sermons, I want to take a look at three women of Christmas from Luke chapter 1 and 2. So so who comes to your minds when you think of iconic women associated with Christmas? And maybe for some of you classicists, there are folks like Mary Bailey from It's a Wonderful Life. Maybe some of you who know the film White Christmas think of Betty and Judy Haynes. Did I get that right? I think I got that correct. Um, I'm not a classicist myself. Maybe if you're me, you think more of these women of the great Christmas season. Maybe you have more in mind folks like Ellen Griswold. Are you with me now? You know Ellen Griswold. Maybe you think of someone like Kate McAllister, um, Kevin McAllister's mom. Do you remember that wonderful Christmas film? Maybe you think, I think she remains nameless. I'm not sure what her name is. Maybe you think of Ralphie's mom, that poor woman from A Christmas Story. And maybe you think of Jovi from Elf. Or maybe, if you're one of those folks who think that Die Hard is a Christmas movie, maybe you think of Holly McLean. Uh, certainly, you may have other women that you think of during the Christmas season, and certainly those are just characters of writer's imagination. There are also some historical women uh, that we think of during the time of Christmas that aren't part of our imagination, but are part of reality. One name uh, that you hear a lot around here, especially during the Christmas season, uh, is the name Lottie Moon. You've heard that name over the years before. Around here, you hear that name during Christmas. Lottie Moon was uh, born in Virginia in 1840. Maybe you know her story. She was 4'9", so she was small in stature, but that was all she was small in because Lottie was a spirited and outspoken girl and was very indifferent to her Christian upbringing until about her teenage years, early college years, where she was saved at a revival. Later on, Lottie would be sent to China as a missionary at the age of 33 and spent 39 years there. In 1912, Lottie would end up passing away as she stopped eating in order to help provide food for those in China she had fell in love with. She stopped eating herself to give food to these folks in China that she was trying to reach with the gospel. And and Lottie died on Christmas Eve en route to the U.S. because she had fallen so ill uh, from starvation and sickness. And so she was the great missionary who said, Need it be said why the week of Christmas is chosen for this Christmas offering? So Lottie wrote letters back home to, to send funds and send prayers to us so that missionaries might continue to be sent around the world. And you still give to that offering to this day. Churches like ours will raise over together collectively upwards to $200 million this year to send overseas to the great missionary forces that we have overseas because of a Christmas character like a historical character like Lottie Moon who said during the festive season it is so appropriate that we lay our gifts on the altar for the world of redemption for the for the redemption of the world for the redemption of the human race and so maybe you think of Lottie Moon during the Christmas season But even before that, even before we have historical figures like Lottie Moon, who we remember often during the Christmas season, and even other than all of these imaginary figures that I spoke of earlier, there's three women from the Bible, from Luke chapter 1 and 2, that were major players, and it might not seem like that at first during the Christmas season. 
three women who we can learn extensively from who were there on that first Christmas day, who witnessed the birth of the Messiah, the coming of the Messiah, three women that I want to point you to today that we might find encouragement from. So besides all of those Christmas characters I told you about earlier, here's the three I want us to focus on. Mary, maybe the obvious one, Elizabeth, and Anna. Mary, Elizabeth, and Anna, and see what we can learn from these three women of Christmas that might challenge us this Christmas season. The first one is Mary. I read the passage a minute ago in Luke chapter 1, verse 26 and 38. So if you're taking notes, Mary is mentioned here in Luke, in Luke chapter 1, verse 26 and 38. And maybe she is the obvious one. Maybe because she is the female lead. She was the the mother of our Savior. She was the one who carried Christ in her womb. And, and, and no, we don't believe that Mary is the queen of heaven or the co-redemptorist. We, we don't believe that she was immaculately conceived without the stain of original sin. She was a young teenager. And yes, she was righteous and she sought to honor God with her life. And, and we see that even by her sexual ethic, that she was a virgin and she was betrothed and, and she was saving herself according to God's design for the covenant of marriage. She was a young teenage girl, and like many young ladies of her day, she was betrothed to be married, and she was trying to live a life that was honoring to the Lord. She lived a life of faith that began here for Mary. These other two ladies are going to be more advanced in years, but Mary is young. And from an early age, what we learn about Mary is how to respond to the Lord. So the first thing that I want you to see is Mary... And what I want us to learn from Mary is how we respond to the Lord. Luke tells us much here in Luke chapter 1, verse 26 through 38, about how Mary responded to the announcement of the incarnation and the role that she would play in bearing the Son of God in her womb. And and so what can we learn from Mary? I think the first thing that we can learn from Mary and how she responded to the Lord, the first thing that I want you to see is how the angel Gabriel approached her. The angel Gabriel shows up, and do you see it there in verse 28? It says that he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. And and, and what the angel Gabriel is saying there is not somehow, Mary, you have earned favor with God, but the grace of God is upon you. This is simply and profoundly the grace of God of God is upon you, that an undeserving person, yes, a a woman who is seeking to honor the Lord, but it's grace all the way down, that Mary was shown grace. And so the first thing I want you to think through in responding to the Lord, that if the Lord speaks to us and that, that we hear from the Lord, if we hear the call of the Lord and come to him, it is by grace and grace alone that you heard the voice of the Lord to begin with. It's simply because he was so kind to unplug your ears and open your eyes and soften your hearts. Mary is a humble servant, and she was shown extraordinary kindness. And yes, it says that she was troubled by the the coming of the angel, as any of us would be, because she was wondering what message this might be. But the angel says, do not be afraid because you have found favor with God. The grace of God is upon you. So the first thing that I want you to know that we learned from Mary about responding to the Lord 
that it all begins with God's favor. It all begins with God's grace. It all begins with God's blessing. Don't miss that, church. Don't miss how kind the Lord is to us, undeserving folks, that he would open our ears, that the mighty one, as Mary would go on to say in Luke chapter 1, verse 49, that the mighty one has done great things for us. Grace is our only boast. Don't miss the grace of the Lord. But there's something else that we can learn here from Mary's response. Not only was she shown the grace of God, but Mary had some questions. Mary had some obvious questions. All of this wasn't necessarily fitting into her brain as it would for anyone during this time. It wasn't as though that people during the time of Christ believed in virgin, but thought that virgin births happened all the time. They, they knew the promise of Isaiah chapter 7 that the Messiah would be born of a virgin, but it wasn't like virgin births happened all the time. They happened zero times before. And so for this young woman who had been shown the grace of God to hear that you are a virgin and you will be with child, it's no wonder she had questions. And do you see what she asked here? She says simply, verse 34, how can this be since I am a virgin? How does this all add up? So many questions. And you know this, if you've had kids before or have been around kids, they ask so many questions about everything. My son last night was asking the questions about how do the windshield wipers go slower and faster and why do they go slower and faster? And so you try to explain how can this be that you turn this knob and you see the rain and you turn it higher and lower and all these questions. They have questions about so many things, but even as followers of Christ... You may have questions about so many things that you don't understand how how God could save me, how he would bring me all the way home, how he might still yet work in my life that I've made an absolute mess of, or how he might save me at all or work in this wonder. I, I, I have a lot of questions, God. And let me say this to you, if that's you this morning, it's okay to have questions. You can still follow God even if you have a lot of questions left unanswered that you still struggle with, that you're still wondering, how could this be? That's not a reason to walk away from the faith. It's a reason to dig deeper and find those answers that you will find that will satisfy the deepest recesses of your soul. How can this be? This one who has been shown grace has a lot of questions. Maybe that's you. The angel answered her in verse 35, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child will be born, will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, Elizabeth is also with child, the Bible says. In verse 37, the angel says, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, do you see this? Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be done to me according to your word. So this young woman, Mary, who has been shown favor, who God has been gracious enough to speak to and to use, this, this Mary who has questions, come to this point, even though she still has questions, the angel answers, she still is probably wondering exactly how this will work out, because this has never happened before to her or anybody else in all of human history. Here's something I also want you to know about responding to the Lord. Mary surrenders. She surrenders. 
She says, I am your servant. Let it be done to me according to your word. And maybe that's you this morning. You still have questions about how God will work things in your life. Maybe this is where you need to come to. God has shown me grace. I still have a lot of questions. Nevertheless, I know that nothing is impossible with God. So by faith, I will cling to the power of God. My faith has found a resting place. It is found its resting place in Christ and Christ alone. I know that he can do anything. And I know that he won't spare anything because he sent his own son for me and sent him to the cross for me that I might be raised to life again. He has done that for me. He has withheld nothing for me. So, Lord, I'm your servant. Do with me whatever you wish. Because the Lord is not a consultant. He is Lord. I think oftentimes we use the Lord as our consultant, consulting him with our lives. And we need to consult the Lord, but... We need to be like Mary in responding to the Lord is not just get some good advice and decide what we're going to take is to be a servant and do whatever he tells us to do. So are you willing to obey anything that the Bible clearly says you should do, whether you like it or not? And not just consult it, but obey it. Are you willing to trust God in anything he sends into your life, whether you understand it or not? And whether you have all the answers or not. Mary teaches us a lot. And then ultimately Mary responds to wonder. Oftentimes we want to get there. We want to get to the Magnificat. That's Luke chapter 1 verse 46 and following. This wonderful song of Mary that I read to you at the beginning of the service. I'm not going to read it here again, but you can read it. It's this wonderful song where she says, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. That's where we want to get where our hearts are exploding with joy to what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. We want to explode with this amazement of the fact of what he has done, that God has delivered his people and he has delivered me. She responds in wonder, can I submit to you this morning of what we learned to Mary? If we want to get to that rejoicing, maybe we need to start with praising God for his grace and surrendering to God in all of our lives and then we might be found joyful in him. So know that about Mary. She was shown grace. She was shown favor. And know that about Mary. She still had questions. And and know this about Mary, that even though she had questions, she surrendered, and the Lord produced in her this wonderful song that we so desire in our life. And so before we leave Mary, maybe maybe you have some takeaways already. It's okay to progress in your faith. It's okay not to be at that Magnificat and exalting in the Lord and in, in that fullness of joy that you so long and desire for. It's okay to have questions and have those answered along the way. And it is appropriate to follow the Lord even before you have all those questions answered. And so maybe that's where you need to start this morning. Lord, I am yours. I'm your servant. I don't have it all figured out. I don't have you all figured out. I don't have my life all figured out. I don't have me all figured out. But in simple trust, I know nothing's impossible with God. I know you came to ransom and redeem the lost sinners like me. And so, Lord, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to trust you. Because anyone who wants to become a Christian must do the same exact thing that Mary did there. Submit to him and surrender to him and say, hands off of my life. God, it's all yours. Hands off. Hands off. It's all, it's all yours, God. Wherever you lead, I'll go. 
So that's Mary. There's a lot to learn about Mary. Maybe you identify more with Elizabeth here in verse 39 through 49. Let's go ahead and look at Elizabeth. Remember, Elizabeth is now pregnant with John the Baptist. She's son six months in. In verse 39, the Bible tells us, In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greetings of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of the greeting came to my ears, the baby, John the Baptist, in the womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what has been spoken to her from the Lord. And so, so maybe you're challenged from the life of Mary, and maybe you need to be encouraged from the life of Elizabeth. Here, here's what I want us to see in the life of Elizabeth, that a life of waiting and hope that one day the Lord would show up. A life of waiting and hope that the Lord would show up. How do we live in the waiting? How do we live with the longing? How do we live in the disappointments? Let me give you a little background of Elizabeth. You remember Elizabeth was John the Baptist's mother, the wife of Zechariah. Zechariah was a priest. He was from the family of Aaron, and Elizabeth was also of priestly blood. And the Bible tells us that something very special happened to Zechariah during this time, about six months prior to this part I just read you. It was a special day for Zechariah because he was chosen to go into the holy place, Zechariah, Elizabeth's husband. He was chosen to go into the holy place to offer incense for God's people. It was symbolic of their prayers and worship rising to the Lord. And only once in their life, and not every priest would get this, so there were so many priests they would cast lots, and if it fell on you, you would go into the Holy of Holies. And you, you would go into the, the, into the um, you would enter into the temple, excuse me, and then you would offer on the altar of incense this offering of incense. And if it happened to you once, it would never happen to you again. So this was something that he probably longed for all of his life. And the day finally came. And when Zechariah was inside the temple that day, he was met by the angel Gabriel. And he said that your wife will become pregnant. Now this was significant because the Bible tells us that all of their lives, they were barren. And now they were advanced in years. They had passed the childbearing stage of their life. So not only personally, even though Zachariah is experiencing this, these wonderful things that day in the temple, began to offer the incense, and he hears this wonderful news that they're going to bear a, a child past their childbearing years. They hear all these wonderful things. Before that, notice, they had been living in probably what they felt to be a very silent time from the Lord. Not only individually, but as a nation. For some 400 years, the people of Israel have not heard a prophet. They have been promised of the great and mighty day of the Lord is coming, and they haven't heard a word from a prophet in 40, 400 years. And I would imagine Zechariah and Elizabeth were on their knees day after day, crying to the Lord, Lord, would you give us a child that was so important? Important for them, as it is perhaps for many of you. 
These were long years of darkness and anguish, year after year with no child. People would think that something was wrong with you if you didn't have a kid, that somehow the displeasure of the Lord was upon you if you did not have a child. So you could imagine this darkness that they felt, this weight that they felt, this shadow that they felt as they longed for a child, as they longed for the Messiah. Have you ever felt like that? Maybe it's a church as a whole or a nation as a whole. God, we just want to see a great movement of God and we're not seeing the very thing we desire. And while your nation is going through a difficult day, you're going through personally a difficult day, that God, for them, it was childbearing. God, we just want a child. Would you provide this for us? And the Lord has yet to answer. What I want you to know about Elizabeth is that she was living under a shadow. For her, it was a childbirth. Maybe it's something else for you. You're living under a shadow. Something you constantly think about or are constantly reminded of. Maybe at work or you're around other people or whatever it might be. There's this constant shadow of your life that you wish light would just shine upon and cast that shadow away. Elizabeth probably began to doubt at times that she was blessed because of what she was going through because in Jewish society it was necessary for Elizabeth to give birth to a son in case of her husband's death. But Zechariah remained faithful to her and most importantly they remained faithful to the Lord during this time. And what a testimony. In this painful, barren time where they're longing to hear from the Lord personally and nationally, they remain faithful and keep crying out to the Lord. And not only that, but what we see in this interaction with Mary, isn't it that when Mary shows up in Elizabeth's house, she rejoices for Mary. She rejoices for Mary. That, that Mary is with child and, and in her womb is the child of the Most High God and she's filled with the Holy Spirit and she exclaims with a loud cry, Blessed is the fruit of your womb. There's got to be something in Elizabeth said, don't you want to hear my story? But she still rejoiced in Christ, rejoiced with her younger cousin Mary on that day. She was able to delight in other people as well, even though that shadow had long been over her life. So Elizabeth, Elizabeth, Remain faithful, even in the silence of prophecy and the silence of her own longing. Elizabeth was humbled by the Lord's blessing so much that she's still able to rejoice with other people who experienced that same blessing at a young age that she did not get to experience. Elizabeth, filled with the Spirit, rejoices in the sight of Christ. Elizabeth. Blessed Mary for believing. She encouraged the younger generation. Blessed are you, Mary, because you believed that the Lord would fulfill this justice. He said, bless you, Mary. What an encouragement and what an encourager for a woman who had a dark shadow cast upon her her entire life until this moment. And maybe you're thinking, well, well, that's good. She had the shadow cast away in a very supernatural way at an old age. I haven't, had, I haven't experienced that yet. Maybe, maybe take joy. Maybe take comfort from Elizabeth. But let me submit to you one more woman of Christmas. We've seen Mary and her 
surrendering to the Lord. We've seen Elizabeth and her faithfulness, even when dark shadows are cast along our lives, things we don't understand, things we wish were not. The last one's Anna. She only has three verses. But don't that fool you about her significance. After Christ is born, he's brought to the temple. So the third and final woman of Christmas that I want to point you to this morning after Mary and Elizabeth is Anna. This is Luke 2, verse 36. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. The tribe of Asher was uh, some folks in the remnant had gone to northern Israel. A lot of those people became apostate. They started worshiping other gods. Some in the tribe of Asher remained faithful. So Anna is a woman who has a long legacy of faith in her life. And probably one of the reasons Anna's in this spot is because there's a long line of believers that have come before her. Don't despise the glory of a long line of believers that precede you. Precede you. There is a prophetess, Anna, tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, much like Elizabeth. She had lived with her husband seven years from the time that she was a virgin and then a widow until she was 84 years old. So there's some discussion about exactly what this means here as far as age and was she a widow for 84 years? Was she 84 years old now? Um, Either way, Anna is 84 years plus, probably bumping up to 100 years old. And for probably 84 years or 50 plus years, she had been a widow. Never to remarry. It was common for you know, widows to, rem- to remarry because that's how they would take care of themselves. Um, that's how they would be provided for. But she remained single 60, 70, 84 years. So Anna is old. She's gray. She hasn't had the companionship here of a, of a husband in some probably 80 years But she did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up that very hour, so when Christ is brought to the temple, she began to give thanks to God and speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Israel. Even though she was a prophetess, I imagine Anna was not someone who was often front and center. And it strikes me that as often people like shepherds, maybe people like Anna, the humble and unremarkable people are often ones that recognize Jesus the most clearly, and often they're the ones that recognize Jesus the most quickly. Anna has not had it easy. She's likely has no children at this point, and there is no hope for her to have children at this point. She has the Lord, and the Lord is all she has, and that's okay. She's been a widow for decades, and all she has to cling to are the promises of God that God will send a Messiah. And she was a prophetess who told the people to long for that day when God would send his Messiah. She was a worshiper. She lived a simple life of worship. The Bible says particularly the way she worshiped is is fasting and prayer. I, I fear it's these kind of people that the church often overlooks 
those who are maybe advanced in years, maybe those who we don't think of first or whatever it might be that are simply worshiping week in and week out, showing up, fasting and praying for the church and the city and the pastor and the people. I think we often overlook them. But it's those that the church needs the most. Those who have the pattern, the routine, the habit, her life counted for something. Maybe if you are advanced in years and you think all I can do is fast and pray. Maybe you can't fast because medication you're on, but maybe just pray. This church needs you. This church is built upon the prayers of its people. She was an evangelist. She recognized Jesus, and the Bible says she just began telling people about Jesus. All she had was Jesus, and Jesus was all that came from her lips. We only have three verses of Anna, but there's much we can learn from Anna, this humble, unremarkable person who recognized Jesus. It tells us, she tells us that the Christian heart to be a grateful heart. That the Christian church should encourage older saints. And sometimes you think the, you know, the older saints are the ones that are filled with bitterness rather than thankfulness. But we see people like Anna and I see people even our midst who are not like that. They're more like Anna. They're older saints who encourage the younger saints. And they tell people about Jesus. To tell people to expect Christ to come again. And encourage and pray and fast. Imagine the blessing that this Anna must have been. Can you imagine the resource that she would be to younger women, maybe who were struggling with the desire to marry, about how the Lord had sustained her for some 84 years and used her mightily? And maybe she could identify with the grieving widows in her community. And maybe she could be a model of fruitful, even into your old age, that they never retire from ministry, but keep ministering even after you're retired from the workforce. Every day she's in the temple worshiping and fasting and praying night and day. She proves to us that you never age out of worshiping God. It also teaches us as a church that Christianity should not be a young man's religion. Church planting and things like that are often for young, cool, and hip guys. Often I think that's the shame of the church. The church can shut out older members as though they're from a former generation and have nothing to offer today. People like Anna are gifts to the church. And even you have to wonder if the church becomes weak if there's no place for those like Anna among her. So be an Anna. So there's much to learn from the women of Christmas. And I'm not sure which one resonates most with you this morning. If it's someone like Mary or you're young and you have a lot of questions about how all these things work out, can I submit to you this morning, surrender. Take your hands off your life and surrender. Maybe it's Elizabeth. You have this long, dark shadow cast across your life and you're wondering if the Lord will ever shine his light into it. Let me remind you that nothing is impossible with God. He just may bring light to that dark shadow. Maybe on this side of eternity, if not in eternity, he will bring to light why that was. Maybe you identify with Elizabeth who you feel like you're stuck in long days of darkness and unfulfilled longings. 
Maybe you're more like Anna, maybe you're advanced in years and wondering what part do I have in this church. Let me submit to you this morning, you have a huge part in the ministry of this church. Don't despise a life of simple worship. And maybe if you're younger, maybe you need to take advice from from older folks, or maybe if you're younger, you need to follow the pattern of the older folks and said, at a young age, I will begin to worship daily so that I come to end of my life old and gray and able to say that Jesus has cared for me along the way and it has been a glorious journey. I'm not sure where you are in those three things. Maybe you're a bit of them all. Either way, this morning, I hope you're encouraged and challenged and comforted, at least by these three women of Christmas, Mary, Elizabeth, and Anna. Let's pray.